everybody? Uh, I'd like to welcome you to Kesed. If you're new, thank you for being here. Uh, before I jump in, uh, they've asked me to give a quick uh, toy drive update. If you don't know, we are refreshing all of our well-worn, well-loved toys here at the church, and we are doing it uh, kind of in a, a fun way. We've created a registry of all the needed toys that need to be replaced, and we've uh, included the church body in going and purchasing those toys or giving funds to purchase those toys. And so you can actually wrap them and bring them, and we'll put them in our toy safe, which is protected by our elf guard um, downstairs. Uh, or you can, as I said, give money, or you can just bring the toys and we'll wrap them for you. This is how far we are so far, minus everything that's happened uh, the first half of this week into today. And I saw a lot of people bringing gifts in today. So we just wanted to give you an update where we are. So if you want to participate, we would, uh, we would love to, to do that. Um, during our Red Envelope Sunday, which is a tradition we've had since the beginning of the church, we give away uh, the biggest offering usually of the year. We collect everything that goes into that offering goes to somebody outside our church body, an organization outside of Kesed, reminding us that that God is moving in all sorts of ways in our community, not just in churches and definitely not just in this church. During that service, the children will actually be downstairs opening all those gifts for their, uh, for their own ministry. So it's a really neat thing. And so we're, we're hoping to, to include more and more of you in that project. Amen? Good. Um, if you are new, uh, thanks for giving church a shot. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for being willing to come and be curious to to ask questions about what it means to, to live on this planet as a human being, to interact with other human beings and what we call creation or nature, this world that, that we live in. Thank you for uh, being willing to, to try. I know church is complicated for a lot of people. A lot of people have a lot of uh, baggage when it comes to uh, church and church work. Uh, may I also say to those of you who call this your church home, thank you for being um, so generous with your time, talent, treasure, for the way that you show up, for the way that you don't control everything here to make it uh, exactly how you want it. We've said before, we'll say it again, the only thing everybody gets at Kested is something they don't want. That's the only thing we're all equal in. And uh, it, it, it is that way. It, it's going to be too, too much bass and too many babies and uh, all kinds of probably other problems, but we're in it together and we are uh, experiencing a lot of growth and a lot of beautiful things happening in our church body. Yeah, okay. Okay, so we're taking off. This is, I believe, week three of our iconic series. We are looking at the longtime Christian tradition of using something called iconography to better understand and teach people about who God is and how he works. So quick review. If you were to walk into any ancient church, uh, you would find symbols all around that church, whether placed inside the windows or at the altar or at the doors that represented icons that gave good pictures about who God is to the people of those times, especially when people couldn't read. And so language wasn't the, the primary way that they would understand who God is. Uh, they would be talked about God in pictures. If today you and I went to coffee and I asked you to describe God, most likely you would use words like generous, loving, kind, uh, scary, big, powerful. You would use these descriptive words, but people for, for centuries didn't use words like that to teach or describe God. Instead, they would use words like fortress or shield or, or cave of refuge. They would use these symbolic icon words, iconic words that would describe the way in which God could be understood 
and a way in which we could learn more about him. Uh, one of the most powerful icons that people have used for generations and is also mentioned in the Bible is the icon of nature, the icon of creation, the icon of, of, of seeing inside the way God made the world him and his personality. Romans 1.20 alludes to this when it says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. You can see God in the way that, that, uh, that, that things are formed, in the way that things operate, in the rules by which creation is governed. And so today, we are going to talk about the symbolism of how God operates within the nature of a tree, more specifically a fall leaf. Uh, fall leaves have a lot of easily missed beauty about them, especially if you're from this area. Uh, I recently came to realize this when two of our newer hires, Amber and Andy, who are not from the Northwest, came in when the leaves turned and they were like, wow, it is so beautiful out there. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, like the leaves are orange and like they're falling and like, like all the different hues. And if you're from here, you're like, yeah, that's, that's how my lawn dies every year. That's what that is. And they were like, no, that's beautiful. Like, like Amber's from California and a part of California that she says is just brown. She's like, like, we don't have any fall like that at all. And Andy is from, uh, or he was recently living in Tennessee where he said they had like a six day fall. It was like fall and then it was gone. Everything was just barren. And here in the Northwest, we have this beautiful extended fall and those leaves are such a beautiful representation of a way in which God works with his children through his creation. So let me just talk a little bit about leaves, maybe some stuff you knew, maybe some stuff you didn't. First off, uh, when leaves are changing color and dying, they're not just doing that because it's cold. It's actually a sign that the tree is taking back the nutrients it needs to survive and shedding what's not for it. All of the nutrients that were once in the leaves are pulled back into the trunk, of the tree for winter storage. When necessary, trees know to freely let go of unnecessary parts of themselves to maintain life and health. Basically, the leaves don't serve them anymore, and so that they have become a burden. I want to talk today, and I want to teach today, about what it means to interact with icons in real time using that illustration. The idea that all of us in this room have seasonal uh, experiences in our lives. There's no one here who's in a perpetual season of summer or spring or winter or fall. Every person in this room experiences seasons and that includes how we interact with our burdens. And so we're gonna interact with this icon today in a tangible, touchable way from this perspective. And my hope is this, that you think about you, not about your neighbor or the person you're married to or live with that you think about how this connects to you, your story, and where you are right now. Basically, like the beautiful fall leaves all around us today, I wanna talk to you about the easily missed beauty in the burdens you are currently carrying. I'm gonna use the story of Peter, and I'm gonna be in Acts chapter 12 if you wanna turn there. Verses will be on the screen. At this point in Peter's life, uh, he is pretty 
well saturated in the identity God has given him. He knows that he is the rock of the church that is brand new and forming. He knows that he is the sharp end of the spear, if you will. If there's a hard thing to do or a confrontation to be had, Peter's the guy you call. He shows up in these situations because he's bold, he's unflinching, he's powerful, he's articulate, and he is the person that Jesus said would do this difficult work. And then it says this happened. About that time, Herod, the king of the land, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. So here's what we have. This man who knows his identity, he knows his purpose, he knows who he's supposed to be and how he's supposed to accomplish it, suddenly having that season ripped away from him and put in prison after the loss of a very dear friend, basically showing him the path towards his own death. He would have thought this was the end of his story. That, that the way in which he thought his life was going to go was not the way in which he, he wanted it to go. And so I would surmise that in this situation, Peter is carrying a burden. He is carrying a burden that has been imposed on him by someone else, by a system, by, by a belief, by power around him. And it is unfortunate, but it is the reality that anything that you aren't supposed to carry is a burden. Whether that's imposed by a system, that could be imposed by your genetics, right? That could be sickness. Anything that you weren't built to carry, which we know that we as God's created beings placed within this beautiful creation, we're not meant to carry those things. And so these are burdens. These are difficult spaces for us to live in. And we have to be honest about that. Too many people are not honest about this reality. They don't name their burdens. They pretend, they act. In this situation, this would be like if Peter showed up in prison and was just walking around like, yeah, this is awesome. This is exactly where I hoped I would be. This is exactly where I thought my ministry would end up. Uh, you know, I'm not surprised at all. Like this makes total sense to me and I'm good with it. I don't believe that's the case at all. Not that he wasn't willing to suffer, but I don't believe that he found himself in this place and just decided to enjoy it. Too often I sit with people and I'm like, hey, we're meeting, I heard you're going through some hard stuff. And this person will share with me this incredibly difficult thing that no one is intended to burden. And then in order not to burden me or anyone else around them, they'll be like, hey, don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. I'm fine. And so if I didn't know better, I would be like, okay, great. Go ahead and carry that burden yourself. It sounds like you designed it that way. You don't have any problems. No issues at all here to be heard of. And so I'll move on to the next person who doesn't know they're fine and actually wants help. By the way, I also am one of those people. I do not share burdens well. Uh, I, I do not leverage my pain well. I have always struggled to be self-sufficient and to be someone in ministry this is terrible, I'm gonna say this out loud because I have a nine o'clock so we don't have to use this. I'm gonna be someone in ministry that doesn't need ministered to. And it's, it's not truth, but it's very, very human. We don't want to impact the people around us with negative things, but the problem is we end up creating a culture where anything negative cannot be named. And so what happens is, we are no longer aware of not only our own burdens, but other people's burdens. And when we don't name them, we run into problems. 
I don't know if you remember um, a couple years back, we had that heavy snow that showed up uh, in a really early fall and it was just sudden and really thick and really heavy. A lady by the name of Lisa Turkurs wrote about one of these. This is what she said. She said, remember a few years ago when we had the early snowfall? It wasn't the amount of snow still on the crown that grabbed my attention. It was the broken trees. The branches were piled everywhere, all still clinging to the leaves that hadn't dropped yet. And because the leaves hadn't dropped, the trees broke. That's what happens when snow comes early. The trees weren't designed to face snow before releasing their leaves. They weren't made to carry more than they should, and neither are we. Like a tree, we can't carry the weight of two seasons simultaneously. In the violent struggle of trying, we'll miss every bit of joy each season promises to bring. When we are not willing to drop our leaves and admit that we are in a situation and a circumstance that, we are, that, that there is a burden that is coming into our lives and we pretend by maintaining our foliage of presentation, then what ends up happening is a life filled with broken branches, broken decisions and all sorts of coping mechanisms that oftentimes everyone around us can call out very easy but we ourselves didn't name the burden and so no one knows how to actually help us. Instead, we should be aware of carrying things that we aren't meant to, things that don't serve us anymore. We should be willing to pull the nutrients in from those things, the energy in from those things back into our life, seeing the season that's coming of winter, the season of spending time in a cell, right, of winter, and pulling those things into our story and being honest with people and naming what's true so that we can survive and also create a community that can help hold up the branches under the weight of the snow and the circumstances. We have to prepare ourselves by shedding that which does not serve us honestly. When this happens, Peter ends up in this situation. It says the church suddenly shows up. Verse four and five. And when he had seized him, Herod, seizing Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people and very likely kill him. So Peter was kept in prison, listen to this phrase, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Sustaining those carrying heavy burdens is one of the church's most important jobs. Too often, we as Christians want to offer a helping hand instead of a hearing heart. At first glance, you might think, but that's good. That's what church should be. We should show up and, and lift people and help people. And it's true. The problem is that sometimes when we can't figure out how to help with our hands or pocketbooks, we don't help at all. No one could show up and pull him out of the prison situation. No one could show up and free him of the burden and the season he's in. And so the church shows up in earnest prayer, doing what it can do from where it's at. When we don't pray, but instead only decide to use our hands or our pocketbooks, what often happens is that we forget to just be with people in the midst of their, their storm, in the midst of their heavy snow season. We aren't with people. And so instead of listening with burden bearing prayer, we leave the burden untouched and the bearer feeling unwanted. And we say, I just don't know what to do. I would have helped if I could. And then people that name the burden sit alone because 
people don't know how to come alongside and just sit in the burden with them. This is a, a, a hard truth of Christianity and something we've taught here a lot at Kessid that, that God has called us to this kind of lifestyle, a lifestyle of setting down our preferences. I, I would love to just help everybody who needed help with a check. But I've seen over time, especially uh, leading a benevolence ministry inside church, which is where you give to people who are in need, that oftentimes the last thing people need is a check. That oftentimes what they need is someone to sit with them to teach them principles of management around stress and coping and so forth. And sometimes all they need you to do is be still and be silent and be present. But it's hard to do because it doesn't feel good to me to do that. It feels like I'm just like useless, like, like, like I'm just here in this room with you and you're hurting and crying and, and I'm just gonna cry with you. Like, like that's not a preference that I, that I wanna carry. But Christianity over and over and over calls us to set down our preferences. And it's hard. It's hard, just simple everyday, day-to-day life. Listen, I'm, we're just gonna get very real-time honest. So this morning, this morning I had a scenario that happened upon me that I did not respond as well as I could have when it comes to setting down my preferences. I am a very neat and orderly man. I don't know if you can tell that or not. My stuff is organized, right? My, my tools are organized, like my sockets are organized, my wrenches are organized, my world lives off organization because I got stuff to do and I don't want the chaos to get, to get you know, close to me. The problem is, is I married someone whose perfume is chaos in every way. She's lovely and she is messy. This morning, I went into my nicely organized closet with all my color matching hangers. (laughs) They're all black. My wife's closet is underneath and they're just, it looks like a hurricane came through and it's pink and purple and white and blue and some of my black that she knows belong to me, right? Just everywhere. As I go to leave with my outfit already pre-picked out, I trip over her boots that she left just in the middle of the closet. I lean forward and catch myself on her nightstand, which is just full of wrappers and hair ties. (laughs) And my pocket knife from the other side of the bed Blade out, still open. I could have lost a finger, folks. She never even told me she used it. So I'm immediately frustrated. Then I'm like, what? I close it. I go to walk around the corner and I come this close to hitting my shin on the drawer that she cannot, for the life of her, just keep pushed in. (laughs) So I push it in. By this time, she hears me huffing and the drawer just pops back out. She goes, what's going on? And I said, what do you think's going on? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This isn't my proudest moment, but it drives home the point incredibly well. <laughs> I said, Aaron, stop playing with my stuff first off. <laughs> if you never messed with a pocket knife before, you gotta close that thing up. Second, stop touching my hangers. I'll buy you whatever color you want. A little hurricane closet, right? I'll, I'll, whatever you need. She's just looking at me and her eyes get more squintier and more squintier and more squintier. And I'm like, and lastly, push in the drawer. And she's like, I don't know, it just won't close. And I go, hmm. And this is, I, this is when the flesh just showed up, right? right? Everything up till now is still fairly controlled. And I go, hmm, I wonder why. And I just rip the drawer out and behind the drawer come an entire wardrobe of clothes. And she's like, 
<laughs> she's like, you feel better now? And I go, not yet. And I take all of her stuff and I stuff it down in their drawer. And then I very quietly while making eye, tongue, eye contact, just push it all the way back in. Click. Oh, oh. It's magic. It's magic. It's been like this for three weeks. Oh, what? And she's like, mm. she walks off, doesn't talk to me, right? We got to make up on the way here. That's what it is. I I want my preferences, so does she, so do you. It's a normal human thing, but it is not, hear me, it is not a kingdom thing. Kingdom living doesn't work that way. Kingdom living, let's run our tree illustration all the way out, looks, looks much more like this idea of a nurse tree or a nurse log. Do you know what that is? It's a tree that's fallen in the forest towards the end of choosing its own preferences that gives up its life. Nurse logs offer seedling shade, nutrients, water, and protection from disease and pathogens, thus nurturing and making a way for the next generation of tree. This is a picture in creation. This is symbolism that God didn't just put in there on accident. That is supposed to remind us the way in which we are supposed to live. Frankly, the older we get, the stronger we get, the more resources, the more wisdom we gain, the more we should be laying down our lives for people who don't even realize our lives are being laid down for them. And they can live in the shadow of protection. They can ask questions. They can be frustrated. They can be angsty. And we're the people who go, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, that makes sense. We understand it doesn't feel good, but the way we're living our life and the way we are giving of ourselves, like Jesus ultimately who gave of himself is the way in which they grow to establish themselves to eventually grow strong and big to realize it's no longer me who needs to take all the sun and nutrients for myself. Instead, my life needs to be about somebody else. That's how this works. That's why the symbolism and iconography is so important. We are called to this kind of beautiful burden-buried sacrifice over and over and over. And when we do that, when we find ourselves in that season, then no matter the burden that comes, we can rest comfortably in the arms of the God who also laid down his life. And that's exactly what Peter did here. Next verse. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping he wasn't just sleeping. I'm going to tell you in a minute why I think he was sleeping very soundly. And he wasn't just sleeping in the cell with a blanket by himself. It says he was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the and, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. This is something Peter knew. He had reached this, this nurse log place. He knew that his life was going to be laid down and he was comfortable enough to rest in the purpose of Jesus because Peter knew that God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. You want God involved in your life? Just say, God, you can have it all. You want God to actually do something with your story? Then lay down your story. See, the problem is there's only one painter of your life at a time. And when the paintbrush is in my hand, God's like, hey, paint away. But when I can set that paintbrush down, which doesn't feel good, God suddenly picks it up and puts us in situations that refine us and prepare us for what's next. But the only way he paints that picture of our life is when we are willing to rest and follow the path and design he lays before us. This is just a beautiful picture we are all called to realize that only when there is nothing left to be have we reached the sacred place of surrender. 
Not do, by the way. It's easy to get to a place where there's nothing left to do. The church knew there was nothing left to do for Peter. But Peter, knowing there's not just nothing left to do, but nothing left to be, allowed him to sit in this space and sleep in this uncomfortable, painful, fearful circumstance, trusting that God would do whatever God wanted to do. Trees do this exceptionally well. They, they clearly know when it's time to just be what they are. They are never embarrassed of a barren season. They're, 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 they're one day just all of a sudden barren stalk and branches and they're never like, you should see me during the spring when my foliage is out. I promise I don't normally look like this. Like they are what they are and they proclaim it to the world. They surrender themselves to the elements and live during the cold of winter in the way they must in order to prepare to be reborn the following spring. Too many of us are fighting cold and fighting the wind of the season we are in. We are holding on to things that do not serve us. We, we keep trying to hot glue leaves to our lives, basically. We're like, I promise, this is like, look, I'm fine. Everything's fine, can't you see? And people are like, bro, I feel like winter has just like punched you right in the mouth and you just keep covering it up with another leaf. Like just be in the winter. Be where you are. Pull in the nutrients from the things that don't serve you and be there. Name the burden. Name it, hold it, rest in it, and be honest with others about it. This is what he does. And it's crazy. And that's when it says an angel shows up. Verse seven, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. This is why I know Peter slept deeply because it doesn't say he woke up with the light. I like to imagine this was this angel's first assignment and he shows up. He's like, okay, I'm gonna do this like Mary, like the one that helped Mary and the one that helped Joseph, Gabriel. I'm gonna show up in this way. So this angel shows up and he's like, here I am, angel of the Lord, incredibly bright light, blinding for everyone. And Peter's just out. And the reason I know he's out is because look at the very next passage. And it says, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. So basically, and this is how I read it. The angel's like, brightness, angel, this is amazing. God wants you to be saved. And then Peter's so asleep because he's so deeply rested and exhausted doing it on his own. He's like, I can't do this anymore. I'm gonna go to sleep. And then the angel's like, get up, bro. <laughs> you ever been angel kicked awake? That's what I see here. That's what I see here. And Peter wakes up and here's this angel who's then like, this bright light shining, here I am. Right, and then the angel decides to lead him out. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. So that means Peter was so comfortable with the chains, with the guards. He's like, listen guys, I'm gonna go to sleep. I hope you're okay with that. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just tired. So the angel says, put on your sandals. And he did so. Then he says, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Peter was more than willing to leave this place. He was willing to follow because the place he was leaving behind was somewhere he knew he didn't belong. This feels like it shouldn't need to be said, but it's based on, I think, a lot of prayer, 
the Holy Spirit prompting me for this room right now and whoever's watching online that some of us in this room, some of us, we are living in a place where we feel like the emotional and spiritual prison cell that we're in is something that we deserve. We live as if the pain because of our choices maybe, the burden because of, of, of ways in which we've interacted with this world, with nature, with, with our story, is just something we can never be rid of. And so God shows up through a, a moment, through an expression, through a dream, through a song, through a sermon, through a friend, through, through looking at a tree as you are driving or walking home. God shows up and he's like, all right, it's time for you to come out. And instead we, we back up and we say, no, I, I don't think I deserve to come out. I don't think, I don't think I'm supposed to be out there. This is, this is where I belong. This, th- these were my choices or, 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 or maybe even it's, it's choices that happened, you know, generationally. This is just what men in my family do. This is how we treat women. This is how we treat the world or, or this is what women in my, in my family have always done. This is how we engage in, in conflict. And so this is where I'm just going to live. I'm going to stay in the cell and, and, and God, thank you for the opportunity to have freedom, but, but I'm just, this is all that I, I'm gonna reach for. And God sits and he says, this burden doesn't belong to you and he wants to help you carry it and he has people prepared to help you carry it, but you've gotta decide to actually get up, follow and leave the cell. We are all called to remember this, whether we live in the cell or not that all seeking starts with admitting we don't know the way through. Otherwise, why would you seek anything? If you've already arrived, if you're already a solid and you've got that paintbrush and you're like, listen, I'm good to go. I figured out life, I cracked the code. I don't need anybody. Then that's where your prison cell is. And you're there and you've got the keys, but you've decided to create a life there because some of us stay in prison cells because we just aren't willing to admit we even have burdens in the first place or that the bars around us actually restrict us from feeling what we're supposed to. I don't know if you've ever heard the analogy uh, of like the, the string that pulls the two curtains closed. Some of us have turned off our ability to feel the burden, to feel hurt, to feel pain, to feel sadness. But what you don't realize is as you close those strings emotionally, spiritually, relationally, you also like those, like those curtains that are connected, you also close off your ability to love, forgive, show grace and happiness. And so you have to both open to love and you're gonna feel some pain. Open to grace and you're gonna realize you need to ask some forgiveness and you're gonna open to hope and realize there's gonna be some despair in there. They are connected one in the same. And so your cell could be one of complete pretending or complete shame. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus doesn't want anybody in this room or listening in this place to ever grow roots in a cell and expect to live out all seasons of existence. You are supposed to get out under the snow, under the rain, under the sun, under the wind and everything else that's out there. And it's gonna be scary and it's gonna be big and your marriage is gonna have to be rebuilt and it's gonna be tough or you're gonna have to reach out to that adult child or have a brand new frame of mind when it comes to following God or you're gonna have to face your church hurt. You are gonna have to get out in the elements to be part of the forest of creation you were called to be in because you were never meant to live in that cell. And this is the cycle that you have to break. But to do it, you gotta follow. You gotta submit, you gotta walk out. You gotta set down your preferences as do I. If we can do that, then we can live out Galatians 6 too. Bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. We are called to this. 
It's not a game. It's not an idea. It's not like, hey, you should consider. This is how we were called to, to be and to live and to grow. If we can do this, we can experience the fullness and freedom of a beautiful, burden-bearing life, no matter the season. But it's not going to be easy because we're actually going to have to do something and interact with something. The Bible, uh, when it comes to these icons, uh, it's full of all kinds of symbolism around how you can engage with them. Whether it's an altar you come before and kneel, it's a cross that the, that the, the Christ was crucified on, whether it's a sacrifice to be made, whether it's fish to be caught, there's all these beautiful pictures of human beings actually, actually interacting with these items that help them see the way in which God moves. And so when we built this message, we were like, how do we do that? How do we do it in a way that everybody in any season feels like they can be represented? And so when you walked in, you were given these, these little leaves, these little cardboard leaves. They're on every seat in the room. And so what we decided to do was, was ask for you to imagine that this leaf represents a burden. And so every person in this room, I'm going to ask in just a moment, uh, when the worship team comes out, every person in this room needs to start by naming the burden. Name just any burden that you currently are carrying, maybe one you've carried for a long time. For instance, on mine, it says uh, the past. I've got some stuff in the past that will just creep up on me. It'll just show up out of nowhere and, and, and I, it will just cause me all kinds of internal locking up. And so that would be a burden that I would write on this leaf. So every person in this room, here in a moment, I would love for you to consider writing something, by the way, from your story and be sensitive. Like, don't write like, Mike, with Mike next to you, okay? Because that's, <laughs> some husband's just gonna put an arrow next to his wife, like, you know. You know, just, uh, so every person's gonna write, write a burden in the room. And then, and then we're, gonna, we're gonna create some movements in the room that represent different seasons of people's burden bearing. First, to the people in the balcony. You're gonna represent the people that uh, need to surrender, need to just really release the reality that, that, that where they are isn't difficult and isn't sad. And so what I'm gonna ask you to do is after you write your burden, I'm gonna ask you to walk to the edge of the balcony and drop your leaf. That's what you represent. It doesn't mean that's who you are right now. That's what the falling leaves represent. People who need to surrender. People on the bottom floor, these leaves are gonna fall upon you because sometimes other people's burdens have that effect. Sometimes they just hit you right in the head, right? Right in your lap. And you're just like, what am I supposed to do with this? And I'm gonna tell you. Other times the burdens fall around you. These are sacred. All of these burdens are sacred, yours included. My hope is that not a single leaf spends more than, than you know, 20, 15, 20 seconds on the floor before somebody gets up out of their seat and picks it up. And you represent the people who sustain those who have surrendered their lives to God. You're gonna sustain them. You're gonna pick them up where you are and you're gonna go back to your seat. And then as a whole, including the burdens that you have on this ground floor, you're going to burden someone else by passing the burdens you picked up and maybe your own burden forward. Now here's what's happened both services so far. We are so uh, anti-burden in this culture that people actually got tired of burdening other people with even the passing forward. And we're like, I'll just go put it on the stage myself because that's where the burdens end up. They're all gonna be passed forward to people in the front row. The people in the front row are the only ones that need to get up and set them on the stage. 
the imaginary altar, the, the place where God's going to hold these burdens. But people were so bothered by, by continuing to have to tap other people's shoulders they didn't know that people could not help but just go do it themselves. I'm gonna ask you, don't do that. Stay in your seat and practice burdening the person in front of you over and over and over and over. Practice it and watch as these burdens move all the way from those who surrendered to those who sustained to those who keep them placed before God all the way to the front row where they will land on the stage and the prayer team will pray over every single one of these individually for the entire week. And in this way, we will get to see tangibly and symbolically and ritualistically how our burdens are supposed to move spiritually. This is an important thing and more important than just this element and this exercise. It's important for you to realize this is how life is supposed to be. There are people in your world and maybe you that need to surrender. There are others you need to go pick up and come alongside people. And some people, you can't pick it up. There's nothing you can do. So you're gonna sustain them in prayer and others you need to bring them before God. Bring them before the one who provides the answers because it is not our job to do so. This is a very human experience, a very ancient ritual. This idea of touching the things others carry that are sacred. And so my hope is that in return, you can leave a little lighter, a little more curious, with a little more insight about how God loves you and maybe how God has already placed people in your life that you're supposed to either carry a burden alongside them or ask them to help carry your own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, in a room like this, there are, uh, there are just too many situations, too much, uh, uh, too much unknown for something like this not to be of you. Lord, I ask that as, as each leaf falls, we would consider your creation and the fact that you know each burden, you know it inside and out, you know a plan to come alongside, to minister to, to meet with. As each one is picked up or passed forward or laid at the altar, that God, you know how to support that word, that symbol, whatever's written on that leaf. You know who you've already lined up to come alongside others and who has been lined up to come alongside ourselves. Lord, we thank you that we can, uh, we can join a long line of Christians who know what it means to have their burdens bared, who know what it means to bear others' beautiful burdens, and ultimately God who knows what it means to live in creation apart of what it is you are doing, the way you're redeeming it, the way you're building and breaking down and creating new. May we meet you in that space. May we come alongside each other and the presence of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Like the frost on a rose, winter comes for us all. Oh, how nature acquaints us 
with the nature of patience and like a seed in the snow I've been buried to grow for your promises loyal from seed to sequoia and I know though the winter is long even richer the harvest it brings and though my waiting prolongs even greater your promise for me like a seed I believe that my season will come oh and Lord, I think of your love like the long winter sun. As I gaze, I am blinded in the light of your brightness. And like a fire to the snow, I'm renewed in your Melt the ice of this wild soul to the barren is beautiful. And I know though the winter is long, even richer, the harvest it brings. And though my waiting prolongs even greater, your promise for me like a seed. I believe that my season will come. Mm. I can see the promise and I can see the future. You're the God of seasons and I'm just in the winter. If all I know of harvest is that it's worth my patience Then if you're not done working, God, I'm not done waiting And you can see my promise even in the winter Cause you're the God of greatness even in a manger For all I know of seasons is that you take your time You could have saved us in a second Instead, you sent a child. And though the winter is long, even richer, the harvest it brings. And though my waiting prolongs even greater, you promised to me like a seed. I believe in my season will come. Oh, and like a seed you were sown for the sake of us all. From Bethlehem soil grew Calvary Sequoia. Oh, oh, oh.
Father God, we come before you in this moment. And we lay before you all these burdens that represent different stories and lives and hearts of people here in this room this morning. God, we know that you know every story behind every word that has been written on these leaves. Father, we get to rest in that promise. We get to trust you in this season. So Father, thank you for these people. Thank you for the courage and the risk they were willing to bring forth. We lay all of this at your feet, God. Thank you for this opportunity to come together, to be a community, to link arms, to lay one another's burdens down, and to ultimately just trust in you and in this season for all of us, God, we know that you have a plan for us and we know that we will find freedom on the other side of it. We love you. We honor you. And Jesus, mighty, beautiful name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning again. We just want to say thank you for being here, for risking and writing these things and bringing them to the stage. Like Danny said, we're going to be praying over these all week long. We know that God's got something special here for you and here for this place. So we love you. Have an amazing Sunday, and we hope that we see you guys here next week.